It is good to be back and see a whole lot of familiar faces. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you want to follow along in your Bibles. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph, also when he went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a horse-burned son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is the Christmas story that you may have heard multiple times around Christmas time, and it sounds maybe a little familiar. Up on the screen a little bit ago, you would have seen a similar story that came from the book of Matthew. Again, we are in the book of Luke. This story is mentioned multiple times in Scripture from different authors, disciples of Jesus, who are there, who are not there at his birth, but were there while he was on earth. As we read this story, a few things come to mind. For instance, why, if he was so important, like the angel said, was there no room for him in the inn? Why was he laid in a manger instead of something extravagant? And why were shepherds the first to be told of his arrival? We'll talk about many of these things and more. Again, my name is Jared Leonard. I did grow up here in Hollister, California. I am glad to be back. We're going to start this morning with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for this wonderful day. Thank you for the opportunity we all have to be here. Thank you for the sunshine and good weather, and thank you for the blessings you give to us every day that we so often take for granted. Help us to remember that when times are hard, when times are rough, and that we forget the simple things that we have, like the roof over our heads and the food that we have and the fellowship we're able to keep. Help us never to forget these, but to constantly remember everything you've given to us, especially the most important gift of all. In your name, amen. Now, I'm not a pastor. Um, I, was, I, I was asked to come here to volunteer to speak. I am actually uh, a missionary up at Wolf Mountain Christian Camp, and I am the horsemanship director there. So I'm not what you would typically think as uh, someone who would be necessarily qualified to speak, but I love speaking primarily to kids at a horsemanship camp. So Wolf Mountain, Christian Camp and Conference, and this is the area where I work in right here. Wolf Mountain is a home missions ministry using the unique aspects of the camping ministry to reach young people for the Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen families, and serve local churches. It is a place of decision in the areas of salvation, full surrender, and consistent Christian walk. So we are a camp that... Um, allows kids to come, but we run camps year-round. Actually, this past year, we have had 
almost every single week filled up with camps. And our goal, for one, is to reach young people for the Lord Jesus Christ, to also strengthen families and serve local churches. Those are our three levels of vision that we hope to accomplish while at Wolf Mountain. And we have few different categories that we do that. I belong in the program category, and there's three of us. Um, there is a woman who runs the main program, and she runs junior camp. Another guy who just came in, he runs teen and adult camps. And then there's me, which I'm kind of the anomaly in there. I don't run camps in the off-season, but I do run horsemanship camp in the summer, and I do a lot of program fix-its and operational things. Um, but I do love speaking, and I do love speaking primarily for horsemanship camp. Um, we do primarily in the summertime. Um, we do four weeks in the summer, and then we use our horses in the off-season to kind of minister to things like that. Now, I love horses. I've been around them most of my life, and I love working with them. And before we get too much involved right here, I want to explain a little setting to you. I'm going to explain the story of Christmas and its relevance in a way that maybe you may not have heard it before, but I want to bring you to a specific setting that I would be familiar with, but maybe you might not be familiar with. So bear with me here as we get started. Now imagine waking up. It's a crisp morning in the wintertime. Now it's not cloudy or snowy just yet, but it's, there's a Christmas in the air and a frost on the ground. And as you see the sunrise over the mountains, you'll see Something, something round, something tall. It is a round pen with panels, 12 inch pan, 12 foot panels. It's about 45 feet in diameter. And these 12, 12 foot panels are surrounding this particular area. Now you can't see beyond it. There's walls and panels in between. So all you see inside here, as you can see your breath come out because of the crispness of the morning and the coolness, but you can still see because the sun is rising, you see this round pen around you, 45 feet across. And in this round pen that you're in with me, there's two things in it, but only two things. Besides that, there's only sand on the ground and nothing that you could see to the outside. The only thing you see is inside this round pen. You may be wondering what this structure is for, so you realize that at the very center of this particular round pen, is a person and at the very outside wall of this round pen is something much larger it is a big fluffy horse with four legs about a thousand pounds significantly bigger than the person at the center but you see these these are the only two things in this round pen now the horse is not looking to the person in the center but is looking toward the outside and not paying attention and the person this figure maybe has a outfit that you might think of like a cowboy, maybe a hat on, maybe a, maybe a duster or a large coat of some sort because it's cold outside and you can see the breath. But these are the only two things in this round pen. And you may be wondering, okay, what's going on here? What's about to happen? And how is this relevant to the Christmas story at all? I want to give you this setting, first of all, just to gear your minds um, before I ask um, a simple question that you might be thinking to yourself right now, why horses? <laughs> Forget that one right there. They're, they're, those are sort of. Now, um, no, most people don't think of horses when it comes to scriptural analogies or when, when someone working with horses um, does any, anything tied to scripture. But we do this all the time in horsemanship camp. 
Um, when we run camps throughout the year, uh, when we do it in the summer and when we do it in the winter and we do it in the spring, we primarily um, advertise our camps through Christian churches and schools. So a lot of the kids that we have that come to our camp have already heard and ex been exposed to God because they go to Christian churches, they go to Christian schools, and they know what to expect when coming to a Christian camp. When we do horsemanship camp in the summer, it is open to everyone outside of Christian churches and school. We expect those that come to horsemanship camp have may never heard of God before. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what they're coming for. Um, so our teaching approach is slightly different. They come to work with horses. They could care less about God. They could care less about Jesus or things like that. But how we work with horses and how we teach them to ride horses and when working with horses there is so much tied to scripture that it cannot be avoided. And one thing about horses that, is, that you can't really compare to anything else is basically this, their design. Now, this is a picture of a horse that we just got donated um, this last year. Um, and he pretty much explains that basic anatomy of a horse. Basically, the bottom line here was the horse was made to ride. Now, think with me, humor me. There's a few other animals out there that have been ridden in the past. I could think of three that are most iconic. Can someone shout out one? Uh, camel. Camel's one. Camel is a very good example and have been ridden. Uh, elephants. Elephants is another good example. There's one more that I'm thinking of that's kind of an abstract animal. Ostriches, yes. <laughs> Ostrich racing, big, big one out there. Love to watch it. Love to watch people get things. Now, those are three other animals besides horses that have been ridden in the past. Now, there is um, the thing with the design of the horse that sets them apart from these. So let's stick with camels for now. Um, now, camels are good to ride in the desert. Their, their longevity is great. Their endurance is great and things like that. And they can carry uh, an, a very decent amount of weight. They've been known as pack animals. Uh, they can do it. Um, they can carry upwards of about 200 pounds. Um, beyond that, um, because their, their hump is stored with water and fat that allows them to maintain that longevity for long periods of time. That is a lot of weight to carry on their backs, and they have been known to live long periods of time, even in captivity. They, have, you, have you ever tried to train a camel, though? I have never tried to train a camel. Um, they are not the same. You do not train them the same way as you do horses. You do drastically different methods. Now, they can carry more weight than most. They are difficult to train, though. Back to elephants. Now, I will say, just to the start here, elephants, unlike horses, were not made to ride, even though they are ridden. And I have to explain, how can you think something so large, something so big as an elephant is not meant to carry weight, but something as small as a horse could carry significantly more weight? Just to let you know, a horse can carry, comfortably carry 20% of its body weight. So if a horse weighs 1,000 pounds, 20% of a thousand, it's a big number. <laughs> it's about 200 pounds comfortably. Now a horse can carry a lot more than that, but a horse can comfortably carry 20% of its body weight. That is more percentage-wise than a camel would be able to carry, certainly more than an ostrich. Um, for one, okay, I'll just say it out loud. Ostrich you can't train. You can't really train an ostrich. The, the principle of ostrich racing is to um, give it a straightaway to run, and while it's on its back, it runs as fast as it can. It doesn't it can't steer, really do anything. It just runs. 
that's running for its life, this thing that's on its back and is trying to get away. That's, that's the main principle of ostrich racing, guys. It's, they're, they're birds. And if you've seen an ostrich's head, it's about this big, which means the brain is somewhere in there. <laughs> now, an elephant is a lot larger. It actually has quite a lar large brain, and they have been proven to be intelligent species. But they are not meant to carry large amounts of weight for those that do carry large amounts of weight throughout their lifespan actually develop back problems later on in life. But how is that the case? How could something so large be not designed to carry weight? It's all in the anatomy of the elephant. For one, they're very large animals. They're carrying a lot of weight already, and it's in their vertebrae. Um, an elephant's vertebrae, similar to a human vertebrae at the top part, have spikes on the back that, um, that aligns with their vertebrae, which means that if they carry a large amount of weight for a prolonged period of time, they'll actually push into the spikiness of their skeletal anatomy and actually hurt them over time. So elephants that do give rise throughout their lifetime actually develop back problems later on in their life. You don't see that with horses. Horses are smaller than camels, are smaller than elephants. Um, I'm not even going to bring ostriches into this again. <laughs> but a horse, if you see his anatomy here, his shoulders, muscle, hindquarters, muscle, big, thick neck, and despite their head size, they are very intelligent. They are herd running animals. Um, if you see the design everywhere from the eyes um, to the straightness of the back, to the largeness of the barrel, the pasterns, the hooves, everything about this particular animal was not made to just carry its own weight. It was made to be ridden and created to do so. I believe that God did create horses with a specific purpose of being able to provide transportation to people up into the point of cars and jets and things like that. But we also ride them a lot nowadays because it's a way you train a horse and the way you work with a horse that ties specifically to how God works with us in our daily lives. And this is what we push for when we're doing, um, when we're doing horsemanship camp as well. It's a concept that I call the round pen. And it's what I brought you into at the very start is the primarily tool that you use when working with horses. Now, I've spent about well, 15 minutes now bringing you to this particular setting and talking about horses and what I do and stuff like that. But you're still asking the question, what does this have to do with the Christmas story? Like, like we're, we're talking about Jesus. Again, um, I'm going to tell you another story and depict something for you. I, I need you guys to use your imaginations and think real hard. And I'm going to bring you into this round pen again. And maybe through this analogy that we often give at a particular horsemanship camp, you might see some similarities in what's going on between God's relationship with us and why he came here and how a particular person would work with a particular animal. But I'm not going to give you from the view of a person. I want you to pretend, as I bring you into this round pen, you are closing your eyes, you're thinking real hard, and you're opening your eyes up, and you're on the outside rail of the round pen. And you look to the inside, and there's a person standing there. Yes, I'm sorry. You're the horse. <laughs> you're in this round pen. Now, I'm the horse. I don't know how I got here. I don't know. I remember being scared. I don't remember quite right if I was trailered here. I don't know if I was um, brought here from a separate pen. I remember I had friends, but I don't know where they are. I'm calling for them. I'm looking for them. I can no longer smell them. 
all I see around me is this pen, this round pen that I don't know how I got here. And I look to the center, and there's a figure standing there. It's smaller than me, but I'm scared of it, and I don't want to go there. So I'm doing everything I can to find a way out. I'm running, running around this pen, trying to find a way out. I'm not looking to the inside. I know what's there. I know it's scary. So I'm trying to find a way out. And I'm running inside of this pen, trying to find this way out. And I can't even see to the outside. I'm calling for my friends. I can't figure out what it is. As I'm running and running, there's dust filling the air, and it's, it's filling my lungs. It's getting hard to breathe. I'm working myself out, trying to figure out. So I'm tired, and I stop. And I stop. And I take a breath. And I hear something behind me. I don't look to the inside. I have one of my ears pointing to the inside. I'm thinking, what's he doing over there? And I look, just with one eye, not my full face. I'm looking to the inside. And this figure is walking slowly toward me. Scared and panicked, I run again. And I start running in circles again and again and again. But I'm not as conditioned as I used to be. Um, I haven't been out in a while. I've been trailered. I've been corralled. I've been on a high alfalfa diet, and I'm quite large now, and I don't have the stamina that I used to have. So I stop, and I take another break. Right now, I'm a little more tired, but this figure's still there in the middle. He's walking slowly toward me. This time, I push my head a little more to the inside, I notice him walking toward me very slowly, in a gentle voice. Then I turn away, and I turn and try to go the opposite direction, but then he waves this thing at me, something that looks like a large spool of rope. He raises up in the air and pushes me to the outside wall and continues to wave it at me and get me going. And he's forcing me to run. I don't want to run. I'm tired, but I keep running. Because this thing that's in the center is scaring me. So I'm running and running. And I'm scared of this thing in the center. So when I stop for a minute to take, catch my breath, my face is still to the outside wall of that surround pen. And I'm thinking, how do I get out of here? I, I, I ran around this surround pen. There's no way to jump over. There's no way to dig underneath and get out. And I... I guess if I were to run as fast as I can and slam myself into this wall, it probably isn't going to go anywhere. There's no way out. But then this figure forces me to run again, again, and again in this round pen, over and over again. Finally, I've had enough. I figure maybe the only way to get out of this round pen is to take out whatever's scaring me in the center. So as it starts pushing me again and waving this rope at me, I point my head to the center put my head down, pin my ears back, and I start running toward the center, hoping to take out this small thing quick before he can scare me anymore. As I'm running toward the center, I got about 20 feet to close in on him real quick so I can take him out. He starts waving this rope, and the spool of rope is getting bigger and bigger and waving faster and faster. As I'm closing the gap, I do not stop because maybe I could take him out before I hear this sharp pain right across the side of my neck. Searing pain. When this rope that I got too close hit me in the side of the neck, I scared and I run to the side again. And afraid of the pain that I feel in the side of the neck from that rope hitting me, 
I keep running again, more scared than I was before, running in circles and circles and circles. I'm not even looking to the center anymore. I'm running while my head's to the outside. I'm trying to get out. Knowing that taking out whatever's scaring me in the middle is not going to work anymore. I'm scared. I want to go home and I want to get out. Right now, I'm starting to sweat. I feel wet from being unconditioned. And the dust is sticking to me. And I feel very uncomfortable. But then, as I get tired, he pushes my head to the outside, waving this rope a little harder than before, pushes me to the other way, and I start running the opposite direction. This feels a little different. I don't like running the other way as much. But he's forcing me to do it anyway, going in circles and circles and more circles. And so finally, he stops and backs up a little bit. I stop, and at this point, I'm bowing my head, and I'm licking my lips. And I point both ears to the inside. And he's not waving his rope anymore. He actually drops his rope and looks at me and reaches out his hand. Now, I don't know what he wants. Does he have something in his hand? I pull up my nose and sniff. Now there's nothing in his hand that I want. Why would I want to go over there? He takes one more step back. I turn away, look to the outside. Sure enough, I hear him behind me again. He picks up his rope and starts pushing me to the outside again, over and over again, running again and again. Now I am really tired and fatigued and do not want to go anymore. So I stop and I do not move and I hold my ground. I said, nope, I'm not going anymore. I'm not going anymore and you can't make me. So this figure that I hear, he's waving his rope, but I'm holding my ground. And so he gets this loop again and he slides it bigger and bigger and bigger again, over and over. And he's waving it faster, faster, taking one step at a time, closer and closer to me. And as he's getting closer, it's getting louder and louder and louder. And I'm, I have one ear over, trying to figure out what's he going to do. As he's getting closer and closer, whipping it harder, harder, over and over again. Just as he gets close enough, I chicken out and I start going again. Because I know what that rope would do if it got close enough to me to slap me on the rear end. So I keep running again, knowing that I can't take him out in the center, knowing that I can't stop, and I must do what he's asking me to do. I keep running over and over again. Then again, he stops, drops his rope, reaches out his hand. This time, he doesn't just stop and reach out his hand. He gives a light whistle. I'm, I don't know what that means. I'm familiar with horse language, but I don't know what human language is. But there he is, reaching out his hand right in the center. This time, I'm still licking my lips. I'm still dropping my head. But I turn my head completely to the center to see what exactly he's doing and what he's hoping to accomplish with this. Does he enjoy doing this to me? Does he want to purposely make me suffer inside of this round pen? What does he want from me? What does he hope to get out of me? Right now, it's clear he's not trying to kill me other than the fact that he's waving this thing that I know hurts. But this time, he takes a step back, and I take one step forward. Then he takes a step forward, I take a step back. And I push my head to the outside of the round pen, he picks up his rope again and starts going again and again, circles and circles. This time, what he does is slightly different. It expresses intelligence and coordination. He 
closes in on my head and pushes me to the outside. Then the other direction, he runs me over and over again. And he pushes my head again, pushes me to the outside. Over and over again. And he keeps switching me directions as I keep running around the trout pen. But then he does something slightly different. He changes directions, but he steps back from the trout pen. Knowing that he's not there to push me anymore, I turn to the inside. He closes the gap and pushes me in the other direction. I didn't know this at the time, but it's called an inside turn. And as I go again, I start practicing turning to the inside. And then I realize that maybe what he wants from me is he wants me to, when I turn around, to turn to the inside. I don't know what for, but I'm doing it anyway because there's no pressure then. Then, after a few times running around, he stops, drops his rope, reaches out his hand. This time, I go as if I'm doing an inside turn, but I don't turn completely around because he's standing in the middle there. So I stand there, and he takes one step back, and I take one step forward. He takes another step back, I take another step forward. Then he takes one step forward, and I turn away to the outside again, because I don't want him anywhere near me. I don't want to get that close especially to something that I don't know and something that's not a horse. So again, I'm running in circles again. Two outside turns first. And then I'm turning to the inside again. He stops, drops his rope. I'm licking my lips. I'm tired. I'm sweaty. I want to get out of here, but I don't even know which way is home. I'm trying to figure out how to get out. But I don't know how to get out of here, and I can't escape this thing that's in the middle with me. I can see in his face, that he's tired too. His shirt is soaked with sweat. Beads of sweat are coming down from his hat line. He's panting hard. He's tired. We've been at this for 45 minutes now. And he's still going. I know that a creature his size has to be tired by now. But again, he runs me in circles. Again and again. This time I'm too tired to the inside. I stop even trying. I'm just going because he's forcing me to go with this big old rope that he has in his hand. And I keep going. So I stop wanting to stop. And I go when he tells me to go. But I'm no longer turning to the inside. I'm no longer facing him. Two hours in. I'm still trying to go. Still trying to keep up. But I'm getting tired. I'm getting weary. And my leg is starting to cramp up. But then I point one ear to the inside and look at him and notice that he's absolutely fatigued. Sweat dripping down, shirt soaked. I can see him panting really hard as if he's thirsty. And one more time, he reaches out his hand and I look to the outside wall. He drops his rope and starts walking toward the gate. I say, is this it? Am I gonna get out of here or did I defeat him? He walks to the gate, slides it open, and takes one step out, and he pauses for a second, a minute, drops his head, closes the gate, walks back to the center. Then he says something to me that I don't completely understand, but I could tell by the look in his face that he's not finished with me yet. There's something more. So he starts again. Same thing we were doing before. 
pushing me to the outside wall and then asked me to come to the inside. Three hours in, I'm tired. He's tired. And I think of what I did before, something that I saw in his face that made him happy, that made him relaxed, is when I stepped into the center that one time. So I turn, and I step to the center with him reaching out his hand. He takes one step back. I take two steps forward. He takes one more step back to the side, and I take another step forward. And then he does something that I've never seen him do before. He actually kneels on the ground while he's reaching out his hand. Knowing that as he's kneeling down, he's not necessarily a threat, but he still has the rope in his hand off to the side. I feel less intimidated and take two more steps forward. But then I turn to the outside again and start going in. But I saw this look of relax on his face as if he... He wanted me to come to the center. Is that why he's pushing me so hard? Is that why he's doing this? Because he wants me to come to the center? But if I came to the center, would I find, would I get out of this? What would happen if I came up to him? Well, I'm going to die if I'm in this round pen any longer. But maybe he'll die first. What's going to happen? Next time he reaches out his hand, I think I'll walk to him and see what happens. Two outside turns in, two inside turns, two outside turns. I come to the center. I look at him. I drop my head, and I walk to him. And as his hand is reached out to me, I walk up to his hand just to simply smell it. But then he reaches out his hand and brushes the top of my head. It slides up my ears and down the side of my mane. And he starts petting me, softly, not hard. And then he reaches up his rope, the same rope that was used to inflict pain when I came charging into the center the first time. I flinch and take a step back when I see this rope. Then he stops, drops the rope. Then he slowly brings up the side of my neck and pets me with it too. He brushes along the side of my neck. It feels coarse, but it's gentle. It's not inflicting pain like it did before. He brushes the side of my neck, goes down to my elbow. He goes along the side of my mane and drops down to my back. He talks in a soft voice that I do not understand. Then he turns and starts, takes one step back, knowing that he is no longer a threat. I follow him although I don't exactly know why. But as he's walking around this round pen, I follow him because I know that this whole time, all he wanted me to do was to come and follow him. As we walk to the gate, he takes a rope and ties it around my neck and leads me out of this round pen. And I'm looking around, I see the green grass and trees. And he brings me all the way down to this beautiful green pasture. Before he lets me go, to where this green grass is now warmed up now, to where everything, the frost is all melted and the grass is green. And there is endless grass as far as I can see that I can eat. And in the trough over there, there's fresh clean water. And better than that, I look off in the distance and my friends are out there and I see them. I, I couldn't even hear them before, but now I could see them and I can smell them. 
but I don't run immediately to them. As he unties the rope from around my neck, I hear him talking in a soft voice that I cannot understand, but I look at his face. And his face was relaxed, his eyes were kind. And it was a face that meant that I was worth something. That communicated something that I'd never felt before. A sense of purpose. I didn't know it then, but what he was saying to me was you still have a long way to go. But you are worth now. You are worth more now than you ever were before. He releases me out into the green pasture. This story that I just told you is not from a book. Um, is nothing that I read anywhere. These are real-life situations that happen when you're working with a horse in a round pen. And even though I don't know what a horse thinks when it's in the round pen, you can kind of picture it when you're inside of this of what the horse might be thinking. A horse isn't overly complicated in how it thinks. It has the mentality of about an 8 to 10-year-old somewhere in there. Not to insult 8 or 10-year-olds out there that are actually very smart. But horses are intelligent, and they can, they can problem-solve, and they can memorize paths and things like that. But how you work with a horse, and when you picture yourself as this horse in a round pen, you can kind of see where I'm getting to at this particular part. There is two dynamics here. The round pen that I was just talking about, this pen that you see right here, represents life. The circle of life. This, everything in here, us as people, we have a beginning and we have an end. And everything we do in life is drawn inside of a box and has limits. We cannot comprehend um, eternity past or eternity future. And we cannot comprehend an eternal space. So we put everything in a box and we try to put everything to where it makes sense. Every book has a certain number of pages. Um, every object has certain dimensions. So everything we need to understand is inside an enclosed space like a round pen. Everything in life is in this particular round pen. You are the horse inside this round pen. And the only way to escape this round pen is basically death. You are born, and then one day you will die. That's the only way to escape this particular structure that you've built around yourself. But there is something in the middle. The figure in the middle is God. Jesus. All he wants you to do is come to the center. Now, you as a horse, you want to live your own life. You want to do what you want to do. And you don't want to come to the center because it doesn't make sense to you. What makes sense is going around whatever's in the center and trying to escape. And you're running. And you're doing everything by yourself. And you're working hard to try to accomplish your own things. Sometimes you get to a point in your life where you stop. And you don't want to go any further. And you don't want to do your own thing. And sometimes there are times in your life where you hit trials and you can't take them anymore. And you attack God. You attack Jesus. Blame him. What's happening in your life. And sometimes you are tired and fatigued and feel like you can't go any further. And sometimes there are times in your life. When you feel like God's giving up on you, when in reality, he never gives up on you, and he works with you, and all it boils down to is this, and this is the main foundation of the Christmas story. Why was Jesus born?
why was he born in a manger? And why were shepherds the first people to be told of Christ's coming to earth? Jesus was born for one specific reason. It was so that he could grow up a perfect person, never to sin, that he could prove that he was here on earth, that he could expose himself to the disciples who wrote about him. And his ultimate purpose here on earth was to die. But why did he die for people? If you look in Genesis at the very beginning, it is clearly stated that God created mankind after his own image. So he loved people. And he created people after the image of him. And even though people chose to sin, he said that because of his love for people, he wanted to give them an option, a free gift of salvation. And that's why he came. That's why he was born. He came to earth in a manger. It was an act of humility. There was no room for Jesus in the end, but he was born and he was laid in a manger. And shepherds were told, because why wasn't a king told? Why, why weren't the kings there told? It was humility. God of the universe showing, coming in a humble form, being raised in a humble home, and then dying as a criminal. Proof that one could live a sinless life. And he died to give us all a free gift. But we have to accept that gift, and there's only one way to accept that gift. The key verse of the day that goes along with the round pen illustration is John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It says here, in a round pen, there is only one way for the horse to get out. And it is not by jumping the fence, it's not by digging underneath, and it's not by slamming as hard as you can. The horse, in order to get out of that round pen, has to come to the center. That's the only way. But what he doesn't know is that by coming to the center, it will be his salvation. He will escape the round pen, and he will be granted freedom. Now, how does God grant this freedom? As, as is said in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may be able to abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be with you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. This is the illustration I talked about. Just as the person was going to leave this round pen, close it, said, I'm not giving up on you. I still have work to do with you even though it's really tiring. God, even though he left, he showed himself to many after his death, and he said, although I'm leaving, I will send you a comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. When we accept Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in all of us. 
And even though we go through hard times, even though we're running hard and we feel like we can't get anywhere, God is still with us and is working with us every single day. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We hear the word liberty a lot, sometimes in politics, when um, political officials are, are trying to um, up their game and, and encourage the crowds and things like that. You'll hear the word liberty mentioned a whole lot. But do you actually know what the word liberty means? It is a noun. It is a state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. It is the being free of oppression from an authority of sorts. Now, some people think of God as that tyrant that rules over their lives and wants to rule over their lives. That's not it. God offers a free will. You can live your life however you want. You can do what you want to do, but at the end of your life, there's only one choice that he's looking for. He wants you to accept the free gift of salvation. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And all this applies in this particular scenario that you see here. Because at the end of your life, if that horse never turns to the inside, if that horse never turns, never submits, never comes in, and always spends his whole life running, trying to make it on his own, trying to figure out a way to escape, one day, the person in the center is going to walk out that gate, close the gate, and never open it again. Now a horse will never see the outside. It will never leave. It will be stuck inside of this area. That's the picture of life. If you are never able to be used by God, if you never submit, if you never make that choice um, to accept Jesus and the free gift of salvation, it is not hell and the fires of self that makes it bad. It is the separation from God. And that's what explains so vividly in Scripture, the eternal separation from God. The horse being separated from his friends, never seeing again the green pastures that he wanted to see, the, the clear water, even his friends, but being completely separated. But while we're alive, while we're here, while we're running, God is in the center of that round pen, and he wants us to turn to the center. I use this analogy throughout multiple different messages in a horsemanship camp. This isn't spoken of in just one message, as there's a lot to cram in there. But I, I talk a lot with these kids. You know, you might not know God, you might not know Jesus, but this is how you're working with a horse. This is how the horse sees you. And this is how God works with us in our lives. And when you work with a horse this way, you will see results if you don't give up on it. This last summer, we had over 121 decisions made, 32 of which were salvation. That was in the course of one summer. Teen camp, junior camp, and horsemanship camp. Our first week of horsemanship camp, we had 14 campers. At the end of that week, three girls got saved. And it's because they never heard of Jesus or God before. And they, their eyes are open 
it is very encouraging to see. I love what I do. And please continue to pray for us as we continue to work in this. But I hope this gives you a new perspective of the Christmas story and thinking the real gift of Christmas was Jesus. He was the first gift given to us. And as we give gifts and we transfer gifts tomorrow at Christmas and we think of giving and everything, think of what God gave to us in the very first Christmas. I think of what God gave to us last spring when we had five horses donated. We had a horse trailer donated. And we had money donated to build and expand our horsemanship program. We are seeing God move in remarkable ways where we are. And when you think of the t things that you have and the things that you don't have in this particular Christmas, um, when you think, I don't have money to get this, I don't have as much as I think, think of what God gives you every single day. Think of the people around you, the roof over your heads, the people that you have near you. Think of the spirit of giving this Christmas and think of what God gave to us. Father in heaven.